What up, what up, what up? Hey, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I just want to let you know, I know everybody can't always support and donate uh, to the podcast, but hey, if you can do a one-time donation, I put up a buy me a coffee uh, link in this description of the podcast. So if you go to the description of the podcast, it'll be at the bottom, and you can just uh, go to that link and you buy me a cup of coffee, or two if you want. And uh, that would just help support the show, and uh, I can... I can wake up a little bit more and bring you more info so thanks for listening to the podcast if you can donate that would be much appreciated and let's get on to the show what up what up what up welcome back to lockdown universe some of the bizarre peculiar and unheard of stories of ufo legend and paranormal lore Welcome back, welcome back, happy to be back. Hopefully you guys are doing excellent and taking care of yourselves. So as promised, uh, the second uh, edition of this uh, UFO uh, disclosure project, uh, really fascinating whistleblowers that are coming through. The next one up in our list, um, right off of the disclosure project, just came out June 12th. Um, It's very fascinating. Uh, This particular individual was in the U.S. Army, um, stationed at Fort Irwin, California, um, and he had an interaction with multiple aircraft, and one of the most amazing personal um, engagements up close with a UFO I've ever heard. So let's get into it. So Mr. Stephen Digna Jr. Uh, is the second up, or well, actually he's the third on the dais to talk. It's the second in my podcast because I'm going by order of the guys I found the most fascinating. So this individual um, had a special position. Um, He does talk about the fact that he had a brain injury um, that he he sustained um, while in in duty. Um, So it does give him some difficulty um, during the conversation. Uh, However... That being said, he is well-spoken. He gives a lot of information, and he states the following testimony is true and accurate as it can be to the best of his ability, and he's prepared to swear this testimony under oath before Senate and Congress. So he states he's a former sergeant in the United States Army, began active duty service in 99, and served until 2002. He was assigned to the U.S. Army Training Center W4J9 Alpha Alpha, uh, which is in California, in the Mojave Desert, uh, beneath, in the, near the Death, uh, Death Valley. He was assigned to Alpha Company Group, uh, which is a live fire combat uh, division that supports uh, and uh, that has civilians and uh, military for, uh, for their uh, management. It's a live fire uh, area, a live fire base, the largest in the world. Okay, so it's a pretty big area. So he his job is to observe live fire practice at a level of observation that's on a deck that's approximately three stories high from the desert floor. That's his job to to look for anything, whether it's weather, whether it's um, incoming aircraft, whether it's um, you know anything incoming. He needs to know about it. So he's on a three story. Uh, in incline from the uh, deck and 
that's his job to observe and he was he rose through the ranks faster than any um any observer i guess is what we'll, we'll call his job uh fire range observer um and uh and he was a sergeant what he saw this night the first night there's a couple nights the first night he sees what appears to be a large craft approximately 200 feet off the ground that's pretty damn close jesus and he states that it measured about 172 feet across, and it strongly resembled a hovering B-2 spirit. Upon first glance, he stated his eyes were adjusting to the darkness, even the craft was dark, and he could see seven lights in a V-shape. He said he closed his eyes for approximately 30 seconds to allow them to adjust to lighting conditions, and they were running red lights at the, at the live site, because it was a current live fire exercise and the range was hot, which means that rounds were being fired and lives are at risk at all times during these, these live fire drills. This was interrupted by a very ominous call, a net call saying cease fire, cease fire. And this was from one of the observ observers um, on the ground. And they had 27 teams out there and their job is to keep these soldiers alive. So they have to cease fire if there's anything going on. So he started to make out the shape of a craft, and two men from Raytheon were present near him when he pulled out his night vision goggles to get a better look at the craft. It appeared to be generating seven lights along its wing and underbelly, and he noticed another smaller craft oriented on the right side, at the same height as the, the first craft, approximately 75 feet to the right. Uh, the second craft was jet black V-shaped, pointed towards the first craft, and this craft had equally joined spaced rectangular sections forming the hull of the craft, and it had a gimbal rack that was deployed from the bottom of the craft, approximately five to six holographic lights, holographic em emitting lights that were pointed directly at the first craft. His assumption was they were displaying uh, a really strange color within his night vision goggles. Well, as you, you guys may know this, night vision goggles don't have color. They have green and shades of black and white. That's it. So he could see color within his night vision goggles, which was not normal. <laughs> so he thought perhaps this was a hologram being projected by the other craft, but he couldn't confirm it. So they have uh, detailed um, drawings of this, this second craft. Um, basically looks like cubes that were formed into a v-shape and it was jet black and it had like little gimbal hooks coming out at the at the bottom of these gimbal hooks was like little little balls that emitted light uh and he's continuing his story he's, he's saying he's, he continues to have part of a brain injury suffered during explo an explosion on a live fire um on the observation deck um, but he states that the Raytheon individuals noticed he had night vision goggles and they went from chatting cheerfully and being pretty relaxed to being visibly agitated and having a very severe look of disapproval and anger. Um, at that point, they both went inside calmly, uh, maybe a little bit angrily, and it felt like he crossed in line. He took another look with his night vision goggles. The reason this event was not reported was due to the fact that it was not unidentified. He states, I'm going to repeat. The reason it was not made known is because it was not identified 
it was one of their craft. So this is really fascinating because it didn't need wind or any lift or anything. It was just hovering stationary. He stated that, you know, <clears throat> this is very dangerous because this craft showed up unscheduled, unannounced. He got no notification. His job is to maintain command and control and to be the hub of communication, to be the top observer controller for the tactical operation and to get consent from command center for any desert warfare, anything that was going to go on uh, throughout their, uh, their, their mission that night. Um, <laughs> anything that's going on the desert floor or in the air has to be communicated to himself and his superiors, as well as the civilian personnel in Raytheon. Uh, it's really interesting because I've actually known some folks um, that have worked uh, for Raytheon. I don't know them personally, but they were like family, friends, or whatever. Um, and now I want to go back and question them if they're still alive because I, I want to know if they saw anything or know anything about this. Not this particular event, but anything. Um, so he's moving forward. He's talking about... Uh, how they shut down everything uh, after these after these crew or this, uh, this craft was seen. <clears throat> so he states about five to seven days later, an event that basically destroyed his marriage, destroyed him and his uh, relationship with his children uh, happened. This was a very stressful event. He breathes really deeply a few times. Like, you know, trying to get himself pumped up to be able to say this. Um, but he says approximately five to seven days later, the following event took place. <clears throat> this was after a 72-hour uh, tour of duty he had. Um, and he took a weekend pass uh, to take his wife out to a movie. There's only one road. It goes back and forth between base and town. And this took place uh, at night. <clears throat> He said he was really tired. He just got back from around the range for 78 hours, actually, uh, not 72. He says, we passed a dry lake bed on the right-hand side, and then a light, a very extremely bright light, uh, he could see in his rearview mirror. came up close. Uh, and a bright white light popped up out of the canyon, looked over his left shoulder, and there was a zipping light. Zipped through the curves, just like he had driven, mimicking his exact movements and his exact track, exactly the speed that he had he had driven. Suddenly, all he could see was the bright light out of all the windows. At the exact same time, his car's power, uh, power steering and engine, electrical systems, everything died completely, and his car went dead. He exited the vehicle and rushed towards the front of the car, thinking someone was pointing a floodlight at them, and he was going to start yelling at the guys, um, but he stepped through a thick white field of plasma that encompassed a uh, triangular craft. He turned to inspect the craft and saw his wife open the door, and she ran out towards the front of the car and was yelling, um, and then she was instantaneously locked in a field of white plasma in a static lock or a stasis lock, he states. So once he thought that she was in, enveloped and in a stasis lock, he heard a female voice in his head stating that, she, yes, she is in a stasis lock. 
It was confirmation. And so he was relieved that she was safe for the time being. He approached the craft and inspected it. He, sta he stated that he started to run his hand along the craft. Uh, the craft was touching his car. It was nose to nose at an, a perpendicular angle. So it was like an L. His car one side and the ship the other. Um, the craft had a plasma field emitting approximately 12 inches off the craft. Inside this white plasma field, the craft seemed <clears throat> to be approximately 23 feet long. He stepped forward with his left hand extended. He slightly reached out to it. The craft responded to his movement, <clears throat> which startled him, but it, it, the craft stood still. Um, and he, he moved closer towards it, and he pet it. He kind of pet the craft, and he stated, as he moved his hand forward, <clears throat> it was very smooth. Uh, and Okay, yep. It looked like polished black onyx, and he noticed the ambient temperature was not hot or cold, uh, and that he leaned down and he swiped his hand up the craft's starboard side, uh, and also towards the front of the craft. It was as smooth as glass. However, when I drew my hand back towards me, it felt like shark skin or a cat's tongue. Much like a Sharpe. This was followed by a reaction. And the reaction um, that followed my hand as... <clears throat> okay, he's, he's kind of readjusting here. He said there was like tiger stripes as he put his hand on the craft the correct way. And he kind of pushed his head forward and his hand forward. And as he swiped his hand up, uh, like planing a piece of wood, he drew his hand back. And that's when he felt the strange texture, like tiger skin or like shark skin uh, or like a cat's tongue. And, he drew it, and when he drew his hand back, pixels jumped off the craft, like there were micro-shavings, like he, he said it resembled graphene or magnetite shavings uh, or nanoparticles. And as he did it, he swiped up first <clears throat> and then back again, and it emit, emitted a tiger stripe pattern as he brushed it forward. And as he brushed it back, pixels popped up. And uh, he said the craft purred. Uh, and it resonated a sound in his body cavity. Um, it was a resonant, um, resonation, uh, vibration. And he felt like he was in contact with a living creature. Um, he continues here. Uh, as he drew his hand back, there was lattice work that opened up underneath and very vibrant colors coming out of the craft in this underskin, a very thin nano layer. There was meshwork, honeycomb-style um, latticework, and the frame around it, beneath it, was there, and there were filaments flowing, and it looked like a neural network. I tried to see, um, you know, if there was any universal bus system, um, but there's some symbols that directly are exactly the same as symbols that were um, seen by another individual that I did a podcast on and these symbols are like l-shaped and then tetra-shaped on the bottom just just interesting to to state there uh, you can go back and listen to that podcast i'll try to put it up in the comment section 
Um, but he said they were wickedly beautiful lights, pinks, blues, and every color you could think of in the spectrum um, were coming up underneath. He wasn't able to see anything um, else, so he kind of let go of the vehicle. The vehicle was stable. It was locked in position. He stated it wasn't like Star Wars where you jump off something and the thing moves. It was solidly locked in place. And <clears throat> he looked up into the sky above his car and he could see a mirage, which looked like a silhouette, like how heat is on a road, kind of like shimmering in the night. <clears throat> and there was a straight line in, in, in the distance, very far in the distance. And it was like a ripple in the sky. He could tell right at this time that he wasn't looking at, at the sky. He was actually looking at a cloaking device of a humongous craft that encompassed the entire desert area he was under at that moment in time. And then he saw, um, as he panned his view to try to fathom the dimensions of this thing, he saw a giant white bright white light open up um, floating in the sky, and it was a hangar door opening, a hangar bay door opening. And he saw a female figure. Uh, silhouette in in this area and he got a message in his mind he said you're not supposed to see this you're not supposed to see this he thought it could be a portal but he knew what he was looking at was the hangar bay door um, of a silhouetted cra or a, um, a hidden craft um, and the voice said you're not supposed to see that uh, again <laughs> you're not supposed to see it at all um, and then all of a sudden he began feeling a thud 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 sound in his body it was a resonant frequency being pulsed through his body. He felt like he might be microwaved. He felt like this uh, sp started to increase in speed. There was a very rapid continuation of this speed. Um, he said it's similar um, to the movie in, uh, Interstellar where they fall through a black hole. Um, I've seen Interstellar. I have to go back and check that, that part. But he said this, this felt like it was resonating through my body on a molecular level on a quantum level, and he started to be lifted into the sky. He was starting to be abducted. And he stated that he was being lifted off the ground, his vehicle began being lifted off the ground as well, and his wife began being lifted off the ground as well. He started to become, his body tipped up forward, uh, or up towards the sky. And the rectangular-shaped uh, craft uh, started to dock, and... Um, he was being pulled into this craft. He stated that there was um, some additional um, things that he could see on the the craft that was on the ground, including what looked like some charging ports, possibly. He's not sure. Um, kind of looked like um, coax cable input. Um, but he stated that um, for the sake of time, he's trying to hurry up and finish the fact that he was getting abducted. Um, he was laid flat on his back, staring straight up at the ceiling inside of the craft, the big craft, not the small one. His vision, uh, all he could see was a, a bright white light. Then he panned over and looked over to his side, saw his wife laying on a table. She was laying slightly lower than him, but had the same exact expression on her face of screaming. However, she was no longer stuck in the running position. She was flat. And that all happened in milliseconds he can't continue anymore here because they're on a tight time schedule however he can state that when he was being lifted up he could see some guys in white suits 
fully garmented masks, breathing apparatuses. They were working on the vehicle slightly next to that was a strange blue rack that looked like it could have been an automotive rack, could have been for another purpose, and that was my quick assumption as uh, as I was uh, being abducted there. It looks like he has to wrap it up due to time. So there's more to this story. There's more to this story. Um, I'm going to try to bring it to you. He states that there was also a human female with red hair and fair skin, uh, after that moment that he also saw, he panned to the other side of his viewing area. He saw that the desert um, was below them. They were actually in the same exact area. Um, they weren't in space like he thought. Um, he's probably they were probably still hovering, you know, in cloaked condition. Um, he sees the bay door open behind her, or a transparent like door uh, opening, and he could see the craft. Uh, being docked in the ship, the craft that was on the ground. Um, there's more to this story, but he's locked. He's locked it with time. They got to get all these other guys' stories, so he's trying to give them that information, um, allow other folks to tell their story. So I'm gonna look him up again. Um, pull his name up here. It is. He really, he really gave a great description here of his story. His name is Stephen Digna Jr. So I'm going to look him up, try to give you some more info, maybe in a second podcast. Um, but this is just what he stated during his um, time with the Disclosure Project in a live press conference on June 12th, 2023, just two days ago. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. Because it's getting late, and i got to get to bed. But if I find more information, I will definitely bring it to you. What do you think about this story? Fascinating. I find many similarities in this story in that we have a story from 1980, Rendlesham Forest. This craft, with the imaging that they have on it, they had a little picture of it on here, looked very similar. This same craft was seen by another individual, a aerospace designer, as a matter of fact, who made his own model of what he saw. It looks exactly like this craft. What is this craft? Is this craft human, or is it alien? According to Greer, all of these craft are, if, if it has to do with any abduction, all of these craft are ours. Even Digna himself said these craft are ours. At least the one that he saw out in the desert on the observation deck three stories up. Was this craft ours? He didn't say that. I would be surprised if that one was ours. That seems a bit above our capability of creating pixels coming off of a craft. Just, I mean, that's like mind-blowing. And all this amazing technology that he interacted with, I just I don't think that that's you know, within our purview. Maybe it is. What happened when he got abducted? Can we find out? Did a quick search on Google, couldn't find anything. So, don't know. But, fascinating. Fascinating stuff. I don't know what to think. I, you know, I would give you my opinion if I could, you know, had one on this particular case. But I just, I don't know what to think. Raytheon's there. Raytheon's a military contractor. They make aircraft. 
they he even digna stated that those craft that were in the sky that he saw were ours or were at least told by um by other military members over the comms that those were theirs so what is he supposed to think he's supposed to think that they're theirs but then five to seven days later he has a life a 100 percent fork in the road life changing event with his wife loses his wife loses his capability to talk to his children uh loses you know probably lose lost his job because of it too um and his life is turned upside down this poor guy if you see him in person i mean he just looks like he's he's gone through hell um not only with the brain injury but also with losing his wife who he probably loved dearly and obviously with his children and it obviously upset him when he got to that point in the story so the, these stories uh while they're fun to talk about are real and affect people in a very real way life-changing ways that they can never get back the life that they had um their lives are broken and it's because of whether it's aliens whether it's the government whether it's black ops someone's to blame for it and he was just doing his job he signed up to serve his country and that's what he was doing and then to have this happen to him if it could have been prevented then someone should be people need to be held accountable so that's all i'm going to say i hope you guys have a great night take care of yourselves physically spiritually and emotionally follow through on your hobbies and your goals and your dreams and as always continue to question the universe around you until next time guys take care lockdown universe out